This is Rob Scott, and you're listening to Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Wachler, and Fulham nil picked up another point at home to West Ham on Saturday evening, a point which would ordinarily be gratefully received against one of the division's form sides that does little but further bury us in the bottom three of the Premier League right now. I've got J-Mac and Mark Wyatt with me, plus we're joined once again by Sonia Twig. So let's have a look back at it, if we must. Fulham. Right, guys. So Ola Aina made way at the back as Scott Parker started the game with a back four for once. And Gisa was left out after Don Love's scathing review midweek. So we went with a midfield pair of Harrison Reed and Mario Lamina. Plus, Alexander Mitrovic was, of course, left out of the side again, too, as even Cavalero returned up front. J-Mac, is there method to this madness? I can't keep up with the thought process anymore. Mate, your guess is as good as mine, really. I mean, I thought, I don't know what Mitro has to do now to start. I've got a feeling there's actually uh, like a bit of a rift between him and Parker. But Cavalero starting was, I mean, an odd decision. Um, I mean, we can go on later on how we... Play. But I've, I've, it's been a sort of uh, an opinion that Anguissa should be rested in these games. And I thought it was actually a brave move to not play him. But for me, Anguissa has been slightly rusty. People have spoken about COVID, if some other effects and after effects from that. But I think he needed a break. Um, the back four was sooner, in my opinion. But we, we have the quality in, in defence to be able to withstand these attacks in a back four, certainly with an extra bit of muscle with Lamina in there. Um, I just think it's reassuring to know that we can compete with a good team such as West Ham and not have three centre-backs. It wasn't overrun for a change. And we looked in a complete control whilst also being as blunt as a spoon in attack, really. I mean, I found the game really quite dull to watch again for our lack of end product. But uh, we definitely improved after Leicester, but still we couldn't score in a sex club right now, in honesty. It's just a bit boring. <laughs> very nicely put. Thanks very much. Um, Mark, I want to come to you on this. So playing Cavalero up front... Um, for all of his pace, I don't really feel like he makes intelligent runs as a centre-forward does. I'd, I'd expect a centre-forward to to make some runs, draw defenders out, create some spaces for other people to run into. And that's not the sort of thing he does. He gets the ball, puts his head down and just runs with it. Um, and I feel like that is part of the reason. I can't blame everything on that, but that's part of the reason why we're so blunt in attack and we're so then reliant on crosses to be fired into the box. And Anthony Robinson's crossing is pretty piss poor, isn't it? Let's be honest. He never picks anybody out. We don't ever really score anything from from anything that he's putting into the box. So it's a combination of a couple of these things where I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around why we're not scoring goals at the moment. Mark, how do you see it? Well, if I could, if I could answer that, I think I'd I'd, I'd be working at the club. Um, to be honest, going back to what J Mac said there about the formation, um, I assume you know playing four at the back, you know that's an extra man, um, that's an extra body up front that that can create the space. But we still looked stagnant at times, and you know we still looked laboursome trying to actually work the ball into the box, like you said with Caviero. It's difficult, isn't it? We all know the type of player he is. We've seen it this season and last in the championship. So we know what to expect with him. Um, the what you alluded to earlier with Mitrovic. I don't know if there's there is some kind of rift there or if it's you know purely based on form. But it, it doesn't feel like he's getting his runner games in there. Um, to, to get a goal, you know, we'd buy one. We'd buy many right now, wouldn't we? And, and given the games that are coming up, you know, we're we're looking pretty desperate now. Um, I, I just think something's got to change, whether it is formation or whether it is man-to-man, whether we'll see a bit of Josh 
Madger coming through, that would be a, a, a welcome kind of change. But yeah, it, it's looking dire at the moment, isn't it? And Sonia, you were at the game. Was it any better in person? You were, you were there in a professional capacity, weren't you? Uh, was, it, was it any better in person or was it pretty dull for you as well? It wasn't the most exciting game I've been to, but I haven't had much luck this year. I can't remember the last time I saw more than, saw more than one goal scored, so I'm, not, I'm probably not the best person to ask. I've seen more nil-nils this year than the rest of the time put together, I think. Yeah, and I think that just about sums up our season, doesn't it? The inability to score, particularly at home. Um, Frenchie, just to say really quickly, isn't it a bit mad how we've... Do you remember the, however long hoodoo it was of not since the last nil-nil at Craven Cottage? And now it just feels like it's always nil-nils to be gay. It's mad. I just, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was 2011, it was wasn't it? Until the... Yeah, break. now it's... Yeah, 2011 yeah. to the Brighton game. Then we've had Brighton, Southampton and now West Ham. Um, so, yeah, how's your luck? Um, yeah, I want to come back to you, J-Mac. Um, the Sky commentators made the point that this new system of playing four at the back um, and having more people, more bodies forward would suit Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He made a good start and got a shot away from a Caviero back heel, which was blocked, as was the follow-up by Bobby Reed. Did it suit him, though? Can he rescue this loan and make his stay at full and memorable, in your opinion? And I'm asking you because I already know what your uh, opinion is, so don't hold back. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, I've been I've been very critical of Cheek, uh, but I think he probably had his best game in the position that he was in um, as a number ten, I guess it was. I mean, he was he was strong. He bossed the middle of the park, and and but he just still lacked that creativity for me in the final third, a bit further up the pitch, even though he was still. It just, it just not really providing the sort of quality we wanted just in that final third with the right passes going forward. I mean, he he also missed a huge chance and another ball he just didn't get with with Mitro's lay on. Uh, it, it's improved. I, I just, I think I want to see him now in a four-two-three-one as that number ten. He just, he needs to start scoring, mate. He's not, he's not man of the match by any means, as some people are saying for me because we drew. I mean, the man of the match will rather go to one of our defenders, but he was good. And I'm happy to eat my words a little from the last pod, but I still think he's incredibly frustrating to watch. But if if he can work on this and he is put in that sort of number 10 position in the, it, it should be, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I say we'll, we'll see some goals, but I mean, I just, uh, I just don't think we will. <laughs> well, I think um, Bobby Zamora was in the studio before the game and he was almost saying maybe he's just looked a better player in the past because he's had better players around him at Chelsea. But then I guess the Crystal Palace fans loved him when he went on loan there and he did, did all right for England as well. Um, I think the thing with him is he's not shit, but he's not the player we thought we were getting. We thought we were getting this real decent player that we were going to just help get back to fitness and he'd really help us um, before we sent him back to Chelsea. And it just hasn't it hasn't really been the case, has it? I don't know. Mm. Is he being played out of position? What what what's your view, Sonia? What what do you make of Ruben Loftus cheek at Fulham this season? I actually thought um yes, it was the best I've seen him play. I think he dominated a lot more. There are certain games that I've seen where, you know, you sort of have to remind yourself that he is playing because he didn't really look sure of his role. But I think he looked very confident where he was playing yesterday, other than, you know, the final shot. But he created a lot. He he did have a lot of chances. I mean, you know, 20 shots isn't, I know not all of them were him, but 20 shots in totals, probably better than recently. Um, I actually thought he looked quite good. 
But I do think that maybe he's lacking a bit of confidence from that injury. It did keep him out for quite a long time. Maybe he just needs a bit more time to grow into it. I mean, obviously, time's not on Fulham's side at the moment, but I do think he he did look a different player yesterday. Sonia, can I ask, you've, you've been at the games, what do you make of his body language? Because I know it's different when you're actually at a game because you can watch a player when the cameras aren't on them. Does he seem motivated? Does he... Because from where we're looking, it, it, it's almost as if, you know, you know, the boys will remember when Brian Ruiz was coming to the end of his spell and in a similar position. And he just looked lacklustre and didn't get his head up looking for the ball. I don't know whether it's a, a motivational thing or whether he feels like, you know, he's heading back to Chelsea in the summer. Maybe he, he just doesn't really care enough. Well, in the last two games I've been to, I thought he'd been quite unlucky. You know, the one against Brighton, his, got, his shot was just cleared off the line in the final minutes. I do think... He's trying to get involved. I think a changing system around him probably necessarily doesn't suit him the most. Um, Parker said at the start of the season that he saw him playing in the centre. And I think just in, in, in behind the front two is probably where he's best suited or front one, depending on the formation. I think when he plays further back, he has a tendency to get a bit more lost. How about you, Mark? What, what do you make of it? Do you, do you think that this new system could suit Ruben Loftus-Cheek, or is this just one of those loans where we expected something brilliant and we're just going to forget that he was ever here in a couple of years' time? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it could be the latter. Um, a similar thing happened to, to Callum Chambers where you know we almost, not promised the world, but thought we had a really, really good player that could could change the way we played and it just didn't work out for Callum either, did it? But in terms of uh, of Ruben Loftus Cheek, when he when he came into that into that team, I think we all we all had kind of high hopes for him, didn't we? Uh, I just don't think it's working at, at the way it should be. I know we're used to Tom Kearney, and Kearney's got his faults, but you know at least he gets his his head up and he, he'll 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 go for that kind of you know that long spraying pass or or or, or the, the curler into the top corner or something. With Ruben, I feel like he's he's got the talent there, but it's it just show it, you know, just just give us something, you know. You look at Adamola Lookman who. You know, although stature would tell otherwise, they're they're very similar players in in kind of age and their development as well. Adam Olukman seems to, you know, as soon as he gets to the ball, he wants to make something happen, and he's creative like that. And when you've got Ruben in there, it just doesn't feel like we really want to push forward and and you know make that kind of quick counter onto the turn. And with Angisa behind him, or whichever of the two of those three, Angisa, Reed, Lamina, whichever of those two you pick, it's. It's new faces in that midfield still that worry me a little bit and that the midfield doesn't seem to click quite as well. Individually, they all seem like they're working well, but they don't seem to work as a trio. And Ruben being the more creative of those three, you'd you'd worry a bit for him. I just think Ruben Loftus-Cheek has no siege mentality in him. He's got all the attributes of a player. He's tall, he's fast. He's, he's just not really, arguably, maybe not really built for this sort of battle. He sort of acts more like a CDM than an actual attacking midfielder, which he is or a box-to-box. He just feels like he, he holds the line well and he's got the strength to get people off him, and but he just doesn't push close enough to the to the, uh, the final third for me. That's all I just wanted to say. Just a lack of siege and maybe not just, yeah, just a lack of that sort of uh, serviness for my part. I don't know. I actually thought that yesterday he was a lot more willing to run at the defence. I don't know if that's his new position or what, but... Um... I thought when he got the ball, he got his head down and drove forward, which I think is something that's been lacking from his games in, in previous matches. 
All right, guys, let's let's move on from Ruben then. It it was another pretty dull opening half an hour. Fulham pressed, as we usually do, but lacked creativity. We just don't play like a side that's desperate to get out of a relegation battle, do we? It's too laid back and casual, which I think sums up Scott Parker's demeanour in his press conferences when discussing it too. What do you reckon, Sonia? I think it's difficult. I think a lot of clubs have found that their games have been lacking intensity this year. Um, I think the one, and I, I do think that's because of the crowd, I think the one really intense, you know, best Fulham performance I've seen all year was against Liverpool. And that might have been just because it was Liverpool. But those 2,000 fans just made such a big difference. And I think it's a real shame and quite unfortunate that there's only been one game where those fans have been allowed in, unlike some of the other clubs who had them for sort of two or three months. How do you see it, Mark? Do you think that there's something in this or are we just are we just too casual? Are, are we not ruthless enough going forward? Yeah, I, I think I agree with Sonia there about the fans. They definitely made an impact. Um, also, it, it does, you know, I feel I do feel sorry for Scott because, you know, he is, you can clearly see that what type of manager is, even though he's a young manager, he's pragmatic and, you know, he does want, he's doing everything he can. I know the decisions sometimes, you know, bewilder the fans at points. Caviero's kind of insistent in the, in, in the starting lineup. But although some people may not see that as, as something that we should be pushing on with, it, it, he obviously features in the plan for a reason. Um, and at some point, as a fan, you do have to kind of sit back and admit that, you know, these guys are, are being paid to do the job uh, and they probably know, well, definitely know an awful lot more than, than all of we do. So in, in one sense, I do feel sorry for him there. But, you know, this is a results business and Scott knows that better than anyone. So th- there does come a time where, like we said, you know, things have got to change because I, I would rather go down fighting than, than what we're seeing now. It happened, you know, in 2018. And it happened the first time we went down as well. And, and neither of those were good seasons for us. Yes, we bounced back up, but we haven't seen that kind of free-flowing football that we have in the past. And we haven't seen it consistently enough. So, fingers crossed in the next few weeks, we can actually see a bit of a, you know, not hell to the leather, but but something that, that can get us off our, off our seats. Yeah, here, here. Well, there was a half chance for Bobby Reed from a jockey Manderson lobbed pass in the second half, and then a clear chance when Adamola Lutman played Loftus Cheek in on goal, and he just missed the target altogether. The latter was a clear example of our lack of clinical finishing, and I can't see how it's going to change if I'm honest with you. For me, J Mac, this side just lacks match winners. Yeah, I, I agree. I just it's just weird though because we had twenty shots in this game and just two on target. And I don't believe it's the lack of quality. We just have a lack of attacking brains from our coaching. Maybe I'm afraid even even off a certain leash with that extra midfielder, we just look like we haven't got a clue how to get it into the goal. We seem to want to pass it. Always oh, look eight foot high and twenty four feet wide. And you're you're pros for God's sake. Scott just says the same thing after every game. It's like soundbite city, but two. 20 shots and two say to me that, that it's just finishing problems. And maybe it's so weird. It's so weird because I think Parker had this, the game plan right. It's just we don't, like you say, maybe have the same time. I just don't really know. I don't know how, if it's the coaching or the players, if it's a lack of being clinical or if it's, uh, do you see what I mean? It's it's such a weird, perfect storm of uh, conundrum. I don't really know what's going on, but it's it's so frustrating to watch. And it's just... I don't know if we need to get another an attacking player as a free agent or something. I mean, I've heard rumours, but I honestly, I, I don't know. I'm just so sick of it always being close and no cigar at the moment. 
Sonia, did you go to the press conference afterwards? I, I saw Scott Parker said my team was superb. I think he meant defensively. Um, I also asked him about Anderson's performance because I thought he was probably a bright spark for Fulham. He dealt with Antonio really well, beat him to every header. And this is an informed striker who we've seen boss around potentially, you know, much better and more experienced defenders than than Fulham. And I thought they dealt with him really well and he ended up being taken off before the end. Okay, that's good to clear that up. Mark, what are your thoughts? I mean, for me... There's never any moments of individual brilliance from Fulham players here. In a, in a team that struggles to score, occasionally you just need that one player who can make something happen. And it never happens. It never happens. And I just feel like we're too predictable through the middle. I, I take that defensively we were really good. And of course, against a West Ham side who were second in the form table going into this game, standalone, it's a really good result. But it's no good to us. A point isn't any good to us in the predicament we're in. So for me, I really think we need somebody to stand up and be counted, whether it's one player or a couple of players or just a team. Yeah, no, you're completely right. When you say about, you know, we need that player to to change it, it doesn't help if you don't have them on the field. You know, when have we ever seen Caballero change a game single-handedly in the Championship or the Premier League? Very rarely. He may pop up with a goal now and again. Um, I, I mean, Bobby's had a good season by all accounts for for what we you know paying for him in the end, but we, we don't don't have match winners on the pitch at the moment, and and Mitrovic is the prime example of that, and his fortunes have just replicated what's happened for us, both on and off the pitch. So it's just about getting those right players on there at the right time. I said about you know Adamola Lukman earlier, um, and and you know you don't need to be an expert to realise what he's trying to achieve in this team, and and it's just about kind of finding that. That golden run, isn't it? I'm trying to think earlier about players who have just come alive for us at the end of seasons. And the only one I can really think of is Ashkan Dejaga a couple of years ago when, even though he went down, he just kind of you know took it by the scruff of the neck and just went for it, didn't he? We need something like that, some kind of inspiration. Um, but just as, as these games go by, you know, we're just going to be remembered as that team that, you know, played well, but you know, went down without much of a fight. And, and that's just, you know, it's the one thing you hate. And as Fulham fans, we get it all the time, don't we? You know, we're, we're just, we're everyone's favourite second club or with a nice team in London. You know, Sky love to put that out there too. And it's just a shame that we're living up to the stereotype. You know, we're just an easy place to come and get a, a ground out result at the moment. But does Scott Parker carry the can for that though? Because in a must-win game, we've got two recognised strikers sat on the bench and a midfielder playing centre forward. I mean, it's it's bizarre, isn't it, when you break it down to to that level of detail? Yeah, um, I, sorry, but, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was just going to say the commentators said um, in the game they they focus in on Mitrovic at the start. And they said, oh, look, what David Moyes wouldn't give to have have uh, a couple of strikers on the bench. And somebody posted into our team chat and said, well, the reason we've got two strikers on, on the bench is because they're not on the pitch. Yeah, you're exactly right. And those are the decisions that, like we said, we can talk about all, all week. But, you know, at the end of the day, we don't know what's going on in that camp. It just seems bizarre from a... From a from our point of view, that that, that we are lacking goals and we do have that. I, I don't really. I, I wouldn't think Josh Madger would have been ready to start, and and let alone that. It's not just about you know whether the player is fit, but there's certain rules that go on at the club. You know, it's not you can throw him straight in, but it, he didn't need to be thrown straight in. And you know, we don't know his situation. He probably only had a a day or two with the with the guys to train, so I wouldn't look too deeply into that. And then with with Mitro. It, it, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we all know what he can do. We've seen him score 26 goals in the league below and we've seen him get 11 
in the Premier the, the, the year before. So it's frustrating when you know you've got that on the bench. And, you know, financially speaking, he's mo- probably one of our most uh, expensive assets and he's definitely one of our top earners too. So um, it's a shame to see all of that pretty much going to waste as he sits on the bench. Just wanted to say on Josh Madger, I think he arrived on Wednesday and he hasn't actually played a game even in France since January 9th. So I think it will take him quite a lot of time to build up to speed and get that match fitness back. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start for a while. But also, you know, this coming week is the first time Fulham have had a whole week to actually prepare for a game. Recently, it's been two or three days. And I think trying to change anything in that period of time is quite difficult when you've got one recovery session and one pre-match session. And quite often, you don't actually get a full training session. Yeah, and I think a good point to mention there on top of that as well, Sonia, is, you know, we're probably still feeling the, the results from that quick turnaround after the cup game straight into the Spurs match as well. Although it, for TV, it was only a couple of days, you know, these guys plan weeks in advance. So I'm sure that's still kind of playing catch up from then. Exactly. A lot of them had only just come back from having COVID or self-isolation, so they weren't training properly. So they didn't really go into that period with a strong foundation, fitness-wise or or else otherwise. And I, I do think there's still a bit of a hangover from that, maybe. This is all fine, but we need points. <laughs> we just need to get some bloody points. Um, that being said, we did look brighter in the second half than in the first half. West Ham did make an early double substitution in the second half to try and change the momentum back into their favour. With 25 minutes left, Soufal hit the bar from a a great ball in from Declan Rice as a stark reminder of the threat that West Ham do pose. But if we're going to take a positive from this game, and we should try and talk about the positives as well, it's the fact that we look comfortable defensively, which means that perhaps we can stick with four at the back and commit more players going forwards, J-Mac. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't four at the back was was fine for us, and I'm I'm glad because the the thing is with our defenders, right? I mean, the whole point of why we actually started with five at the back should have been something we started from the beginning, like from the first day of season when we didn't have the defenders that we brought in, when we still had Tim Rian playing Dennis Adoy against Arsenal. Like I don't, and then as soon as we get these great defenders from you know Leon and Champions League clubs or whatever, we actually still decide to stay at five at the back. I think going at four has some it's happened too late in my opinion, but it is nice that we can bring people forward. Yet it is annoying that the subs happened far too late in my eye once again. I mean, the 79th minute is still, this is just a very frustrating pattern from Scott Parker. I mean, I don't want to take away the idea that we, because you're trying to play a positive light right now, but the 79th minute for that double substitution was nuts. And I found it such a, I, t- I couldn't tell you anyone was playing really at that point. <laughs> just, it was, it was completely bizarre. I mean, Tom Maja and Mitchell coming on at the same time. That was, it was good to see, but I, I couldn't really understand it, it almost like someone had just knocked the beehive off and suddenly we just went all out attack. It almost felt quite desperate from Scott Parker. I couldn't make head or tail from it, really. His demeanour, there, there the camera focused in on him, didn't it? And he kind yeah. of went, Madge, Madge! And it was like, it's almost <laughs> like he was going, right, I've fucking had enough of this. Let's chuck them all on. Let's go hell for leather. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're, you're right. Mark, can you tell us where anyone was playing at the end? No, but it was jolly good fun, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It, it just became a, it just became a bit of a laugh, to be honest. 
Um, I, I think this is what the, the kind of, you know, instinctual managerial moments that you can't teach. And, you know, it doesn't matter if, you, if you've been in the game for 50 years or whether you've been in the game for five minutes, you know, instincts tell you to, to just go for it or just to change it. And, and, you know, when that comical red card happened, which we'll get onto in a minute, I'm sure, um, it did feel like one of those moments where you just think, come on, roll the dice, roll the dice. Um, and fingers crossed, you know, <laughs> yeah, in, in future games, that'll happen a bit earlier and it'll mean a goal. Did anyone think it seemed a bit desperate in the sense that, yeah. I mean, I had this idea that in my head, and I don't know if I was looking for a sexy story, but I just thought that Scott Parker thought, if I don't win this game, I'm going to lose my job here. It just felt like that sort of substitution, didn't it? I don't think he's going to get sacked, but I, I just, there was that sort of moment that made me think he's really going for it. And I, I don't know why in that sort of fashion, you know? So yeah, it was it was our left back, Anthony Robinson and Mario Lamina going off for Mitro and, and Josh Madger. And then Anguisa coming on for a more attacking player in Bobby Reed. I wrote down the word erratic. Sonia, what, what did you make of it? I mean, I do think Mitrovic and Madja and Anguisa coming on was probably the right move. I'm not entirely sure about the players who came off for them. I think Anguisa gives you control in midfield. I didn't think Lamina had an especially effective game. And I think putting on two centre forwards even if perhaps they should have come on earlier. And I had a chat with another reporter where we sort of both agreed they should have come on earlier. Um, I don't think that was the worst move. But yeah, I'm not sure taking Robinson off for them was made the most sense. Let's let's talk about some missed chances because you, you alluded to it earlier when you said that we had 20 shots and only two on target. There was that Tashin header which he put over the crossbar from six yards out. And we spoke in the preview um, the other day about how we really need to be, uh, our defenders really need to be chipping in with some goals. That was a real opportunity. It kind of came at him a bit quickly, but he should have done better with it. And we had a lot of corners as well, seven or eight corners, I think. And then there was the Caviero chance towards the end where uh, I think it was Kenny Tesse that pulled it back to him and he blazed it over the crossbar. Mark. Our finishing needs to be better, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just becoming a bit of a trope now, isn't it? And we've we've been having this now for a, the whole season, whether it's conceding early or or now, whether it's just you know at least having one or two blaring misses um, in the game, and they've come a bit kind of decent desynthesized from it now. I don't know about you guys, but but when these shots go over the bar, Loftus Cheek had one the week before. Toshan has his customary header from a corner that he seems to win perfectly well, but. Just don't understand. It's, it's like he's got a 50p head, isn't it? It just goes off in any direction. So it, it just becomes a little bit laughable now. And it's almost as if you expect one to just to, to just be comically bad every single week. But, you know, fingers crossed, as we keep saying, one of them will go in, surely. There was, yeah, absolutely. And there was also that Loftus cheat chance right at the end of the game as well. Um, when um, Mitrovic touched back a Cavalero cross to him. And he's taken it first time and just scooed it wide. It's just, and Scott Parker ended up almost on his knees with his head in his hands. And at, at that point, it just made me think, is he is he fearing for his job? And we've had this discussion quite a lot. And I, I think we can have it on the podcast now as well, because it's got to a point in the season where we're eight points adrift of the, of the team above us, who I think is Burnley at the moment. And we've got to play Burnley in a week and a half. Um, but we lose our next two games, which is quite, you know, plausible considering that we've got terrible record at Everton. We've got a terrible record at Burnley and we could be 14 points adrift with 14 to go. So 
we've we've said it before a few times. The Khans are, are trigger happy when it comes to a, a managerial sacking. At at the start of the season, I thought give Parker the season, but now we're in the position we're in. I don't see him turning it round. And it's Sunday as we record this, and I expected or half expected today that he'd be booted out and there'd be a replacement in. J Mac, where are you with your Parker in, Parker out at the moment? Shake it all about. Shake it all about. Um, I'm. I was exactly the same frame mind as you, my friend. But the thing is, I. It's because now the more I think about it, we needed to win this game. But because of, like you say, the second in the form table and how West Ham are fifth in the Premier League, I'm not sure if. I, I just think that we could. I, I personally don't think we're going to get uh, to escape survival. Uh, sorry, survive with Scott Parker. And I, I'm not really convinced that if we do go down, we're going to go up automatically in the championship under Scott Parker. And that's an automatic promotion is sort of what you need to have a good survival, uh, a good survival prediction for your first, when you come back into the Premier League almost, because you're in a better, in a much better shape than the playoff and the playoff team. But I, I personally would would change the management, but that's that. I, I love Scott, and I think he's a really nice guy. Thank you for Brentford. Thank you for all these lovely memories. But I, I just don't think there's. I just don't think we're gonna survive, and I feel like we're not gonna go up again with him. I know that sounds mad because we did go up with him via the playoffs, but just I thought that we just won the lottery there, and he was. We, you know, we we beat Brentford in a very good tactical game, and that was that was about it for me. But I yeah. yeah. Come on, let, let's not kiss his ass too much. The football in the championship last season was boring. I still don't know how we managed to get promoted last season, but we did, and he deserved his chance. But Mark, what what do you think? I mean, for me, that he's run out of ideas, completely run out of ideas, and and now's the time, I think. And I'm surprised the Khans haven't done it. Um, I hate seeing managers sacked. I really do. It, unless it's Claudio Ranieri, then I, I just I hate seeing managers get the axe at Fulham. Um, I, I don't think I think Scott deserves um, to, to to relegate us, or at least he's earned the right to try and keep us in the league. Um, I, like I said, yeah, I just don't like it when you, when, when you chop a manager, and I and I think you know, I think Scott, as as well as us showing faith in Scott, I think he's shown a lot of faith in us. Um, I know this is his first job, but I think I've seen enough from him to to to, to feel comfortable being in the championship with him again. Which I hate talking about the championship. So excited to get out of it. Now I feel like we're just going to go back into the same kind of roller coaster of it all. But like J Mac said there about getting automatics and stuff, it, it, it's I find it's less so about the, the, that person in charge. And I think there is serious problems going on um, uh, f- above that in the club. This kind of cult loan system that we've got going on, this farming system that we have going on, um, we know it's not going to work long term every single week at the moment the majority of the players that are in our starting 11 are loan players whether we roll the dice on the wrong ones like we've done in the past or whether we you know think of the ones that have gone missing in the past with Matt Target how incredible would it have been if we'd have managed to just spend that extra two million to get him that seems like peanuts now doesn't it but you look at those kind of players and and, and whether you know the, the the squad will work next season, and I think it will. But I think it will under Scott, and I, and I do think that. So I I, I wanted I, I wanted to say in the job. And Sonia, anything that you've seen from Scott Parker at his press conferences or at the games where you think his body language, you know, suggests that he's a, a dead man walking, or do you think that he's still 
fully believes that he's he's in this job for the long haul. I haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise. I think there's been a huge improvement this year. A lot of the loan signings, I do agree there are a lot of loan signings, but a lot of them have the option to buy. And I do think that's the way forward. Um, there was an interesting interview with Tony Khan this week where he sort of accepted mistakes from the 2018-19 season and that, you know, this flashed out all this money and it didn't pay off. So I think they've sort of gone for a different approach. And with financial fair play and stuff, it's not very easy to throw money at a problem in quite the same way. Um, I do think he deserves time. I'm not sure another manager coming in with the same squad would make a huge amount of difference. You know, 20 chances is quite a lot of chances. I don't think another manager would suddenly turn that into five or six goals. I, I just don't see it, I'm afraid. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's come on to that red card then. So uh, Suchek was sent off for the elbow to Mitro's face in injury time. As soon as Mitro was touched, he was down on the floor, rolling around, clutching his face. Um, and then as, when, when it was reviewed by the referee, uh, Mitro got up and kind of said, no, 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 it's not a red card. What was he playing at? If he if he gets touched like that in a bar, he doesn't go down clutching his face. He probably clobbers the other guy and the guy ends up in hospital. So what was that all about? Was it a red card? Not for me. I mean, not at all. I mean, I Matt Dom said in the WhatsApp group, sort of like, why has he gone down like that? And I just really kind of rudely re- replied, because he knows he's done nothing else this season. <laughs> you know, I just I feel like Mitchell was just trying to win us something. You know what I mean? Even if it was a foul we're sending off. But I... um. No, I mean, I haven't got much to say about this. I, I, I hate VAR. Actually, no, I don't hate VAR. I hate the referees that are using it. And I particularly hate Mike Dean, um, who is a complete narcissist, narcissistic sociopath, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe not a sociopath, just definitely a bit of a narcissist and just he loves, loves it. a bit of drama. Yeah. yeah. So he does, I, he, I, that red card he, is definitely getting, getting, you know, put back in the bin, I think. Do you, gonna, do you think? Do you think? I think well, so. I, don't, I don't know why the guy's arm was up that high. But it was definitely not intentional. Whatever whatever reason he had to lift his arm up, straight away his body language suggested, whoops, sorry about that. It wasn't like, yeah, have that, you prick, was it? It was like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry yeah. about that. So but by the letter of the law, I suppose, it was a it was an elbow to the face, wasn't it? What well, how did you see it, Mark? Red card or not? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'd... It was it was quite funny watching Mike Dean rewatch it over and over again. I wonder what it was like in the stadium for you guys, Sonia. Did you even see the incident, or was it just kind of a big wait to see what was going on? I don't know if there were replays at all. Um, so we didn't have replays because uh, we're not in sort of have to be spread across the stands rather than in the normal press box. I saw Mitrovic go down holding his face. I didn't know quite what had caused it. Um, I suppose Suchek is probably the only player on the pitch who could accidentally elbow Mitrovic in the face being about six foot eight so I I don't think it was a penalty having seen it back but these you know there was a dodgy one midweek from the same refereeing combination of Mike Dean and Lee Mason for Southampton Man U I just think the way the game's going you just know that the longer they look at a decision the more likely they are to overturn it sort of regardless of what it is really. J-Mac and Mark I just want to Quickly put this point to you because we we need to wrap up soon. But had that red card not been awarded because it was still a free kick to West Ham and the ball had been stuck in the box and Sochek had risen up above everybody and buried it and he hadn't been sent off, 
would you still have had the same opinion that it wasn't a red card? Uh, absolutely not, no, because I'm fickle. <laughs> I know you need to say that. Yeah, no, <laughs> not. You know, I'm like, I'm an absolute flip flop, but yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Mark thinks. <laughs> yeah, I was just in my head. I was trying to think of an excuse as to why I'd come across really nobly, but no, absolutely, that would be an, a blatant red card, and it would be a disgusting, <laughs> disgusting challenge from Suche. Perfect. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, um, let's come on to man of the match then. Uh, J Mac, who would you give it to? Um, I, I said I wouldn't give it to Ruben Loftus Cheek, but I mean his improm- his performances are hugely improved. It's just odd giving it to someone who who we just didn't win the game and he missed two huge chances. I, I mean, not huge. The first one was huge. The second one, not so much, but he just didn't connect with the ball laid off by Mitro. I will say, I'm going to say Cheek because I feel bad for how much stick I've been giving in the previous pod. And if we're to look at who actually the best player on the pitch was, even though the scoreline was a draw, I would say Cheek. So I'll, I'll tip my hat right. to him. I'll give it to Cheek. I think, I think Sky gave it to Lutman. I'd agree with you though. I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek was our best player against West Ham. How about you, Sonia? I'm going to go with Anderson because of how he dealt with Mikel Antonio and he'd sort of stopped West Ham getting in the box and causing problems. Good shout. Okay, and how about you, Mark? Um, well, I haven't given uh, Ginger and Esther 2.0 any love this podcast, so I, I want to give it to Harrison Reed because I just think he does a lot of the quiet jobs really well and he's slowly turning into one of my little fan favourites. So, yeah, I'll give it to Harrison Reed. Okay, guys, and then we just need to do a Scott Parker racing for this one. So I'll come to you first, Mark. Um, I'm going to give him six Scott Parkers out of ten. Okay, are you going to justify it? um, Not worthy of a seven, not worthy (laughs) of a five. (laughs) Okay, Okay, no, no, absolutely fine, perfect. Why not? How about you, Sonia? I think I'm going to agree with Mark because I thought he had it spot on defensively and I think the form that West Ham are in, I think that definitely deserves some credit. But I'm not going to give him high because of Fulham's continued struggles to find the back of the net. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go five. Um, it's, It's another game which we needed to win and I'm sorry it doesn't matter who it's against. It's the, all these games are going to be must wins now, and if you leave your strikers out, then you're going to struggle to score goals. And any time he starts, even Caviero as centre forward, he's going to get points knocked off immediately. So, um, so yeah, five out of ten for me. How about you, J Mac? I'm going to give him a five as well. I mean, with sixty-one percent of possession, five hundred and fifty passes in the game, I feel like we. We controlled it. We just couldn't finish it off. And it's the story of our season. Um, 20 shots, two on target. It's the same story. I feel like the substitutions were far too late and quite strange. I would have preferred to have seen him in the 60th minute and starting Cavalera was just clearly a mistake because of the, the chance that he missed earlier. And yeah, I'm going to say, I mean, maybe he was, no, it's five. It's five. And just, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just so lost of what to think of him now because, you know, I don't I don't want him sacked, but I do. And I just yeah. feel like he's Tony Khan's got the the bride of his life with this manager because he's always going to say yes to him, in my opinion. But anyway, just, yeah, five for Scott Parker. And I hope we can get a result at Turf Moor, which we, oh no, Everton, sorry, which we never usually do. 
All right, let's leave it there then, guys. We'll be back on Thursday to have a look ahead to the Valentine's Day clash at Goodison Park next Sunday. But for now, Sonia, Mark and J-Mac, thanks very much. Thanks to you all for listening and enjoy a midweek off without having to worry about full of results. Chat to you soon. Cheers. Fulham.